take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I love watching people like bob their head once the music is going. When there's music on, I, I'm always moving. <laughs> uh, Angelica Blay, welcome. Hi. Thank you for coming in. Yeah. Uh, a woman of many hats. That is how I describe myself. Yeah, you, you yeah. got a lot of things going on. I wear a lot of hats. Um, first and foremost, you were PhD student? Yes, I'm Okay, a so that's student. even like <laughs> higher up than I thought. I was going to say master's, but I was like, wait, that can't be right. No, PhD. Yeah. So you're going to be a doctor? A doctorate doctor philosophy. When, is that what it's yeah. considered? Yeah. So what are you at? You're studying... Um, exercise psychology. Right. Yeah. That fits under philosophy and not like Well, science. a doctorate, technically PhD is, stands for a doctor of philosophy and you can do it for yeah, oh! a PhD. <laughs> yeah. So, oh. yeah. So you oh. can do it in <laughs> sat, like basic science, but it's still a doctorate. Yeah. I had, look at that. We learned something new Today I learned. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Exercise psychology, like how does one get into something like that so i mean we've had a lot of people come on who are in fitness or um personal training uh in some level of health how do you get into the psychology side of it because that that seems like a much more heavier subject right um my path very not linear um i started with an interest actually if we want to go really back to high school i hated sports and anything to do with it which is really ironic because now I promote sports and well-being <laughs> and I teach sports, but hated it. Um, I started with an interest in kinesiology and physiology and doing cardiac rehab. I actually did my internship at the Heart Institute mm. uh, here in Ottawa. World-renowned here in Ottawa, by the way. World-renowned, world-class researchers. They're doing mm-hmm. such great work. Um, one of and it's first. Heart Month, so it's all... Yes. You can go donate to that for sure. There are lots of good organizations, the Heart Institute... Um, being one of the best. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, yeah. They made me think of it. <laughs> really great programs. Um, so, and really great, like, world-renowned research. Um, so that was my fourth year. And then I was like, this is really cool. I really like cardiac rehab, but I've always been interested in working with kids. Um, so I thought, okay, let's apply this to kids that live with different cardiac conditions. Because I, I actually am, I was one of them. Like, mm. I grew up with a um, a minor like congenital heart defect and I thought how neat we can apply this to kids and then when I actually got to that I realized oh kids don't want to walk on a treadmill for 30 minutes at 70% of their heart rate max that's not fun yeah <laughs> yeah I can see them getting bored maybe <laughs> you stuck an iPad right there in front maybe, of them maybe but, but <laughs> still <laughs> um actually yeah maybe but th- so with kids the conversation changes more to physical activity and sport and getting them active those ways um, rather than a traditional rehab model. So as I was doing my master's, that was what my master's focused on, I realized that it was less about the physiology behind it and more about how do we get them to actually participate in physical activity and sport. Mm. So that's where the psychology comes in because it's how, why and how do people um, even start being active like what are the factors that influence them being active as kids um how can we encourage them to be active 
if they have low confidence, it doesn't always have to be like that. How do we? Right. Like there was always the, the those people in gym that would want to sit out because they weren't quite up to par with like the jock right. testosterone puberty boys. Right. Who would go super hard and dodgeball for no reason. Right? right. I was one of those kids. Yeah. And I was one of those kids that tripped and fell. Right. All the time. Get bullied. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's and it's one of those things where, OK, this girl's. In basketball, she's getting every net and I'm getting none. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and part of it is, okay, I'm not getting any feedback that I can really use and improve and I'm not getting any encouragement. I'm just seeing she's doing better than I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So right. um, the psychology behind being active is super interesting. Like it's, it's I see it as almost the first step. Um. Because I would think biologically, and I mean, I could be totally yeah. wrong. This is an outsider's opinion, which I love to do on this podcast <laughs> and just share my uneducated opinion. Um, but you would think, you know, as a kid, being active seems sort of natural in a way. Now, not necessarily going out and being really good at sports. I'm just talking about running around, playing outside. Outdoor uh, play. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That, like, that seems to be innate. We live in society now where a lot of parents are just plopping down that said iPad we were talking about right in front of them and just kind of go play with that. And, uh, you know, I don't want to watch you outside. I don't want to go to the park. I want to just sit on Facebook while you're on Netflix on the phone. Yeah. Are you seeing that now a lot too? That's one of the biggest problems um, that we're dealing with and why... um, initiatives like Outdoor Play Canada and mm-hmm. Participation. That's a lot of, and I know that's a pretty well-known name, Participation, mm-hmm. but that's what they're really trying to get out of. And and also, it might not just be that it's easier to put an iPad in front of them, but also conceptually it might be safer because what if they go outside and um, they're climbing trees and they fall and they break something, right? Right. Um, so there's ho- this whole idea of risky play and how it actually is super beneficial for kids um, for them to engage in these riskier types of activity you're Mm -hmm. actually building strength you're building endurance you're developing motor skills by climbing trees crossing rivers jumping over creeks like things that look like kind of yeah stomach come up to your throat when you watch (laughs) yeah that goes to that kind of adage your mom would say like you know um kids running around in the living room and you're like what if he bonks his head and then it's like oh well he'll learn yeah that like yeah. is that that's sort of like the whole yeah. uh, and it's he's gaining more from running around and maneuvering himself in that living room environment than he would be if he was stopped from doing that and more than the risk of hitting his head right, right. um yeah there's a ton of great stuff on risky play and great initiatives um and it does align a lot with the outdoor play it's not my specialty um i do have great colleagues at mm-hmm. geo that uh, research that and are involved in promoting that, but not particularly in my area. Yeah. Um, but it's super interesting. Yeah. So your, your particular area, you're, I mean, trying to find out the psychology, why maybe kids aren't active and seeing how you can reverse that or, um, that's a big, big project. (laughs) That's like an, a a, a lifetime career. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, and I actually look at physical literacy. 
Okay. So it's good. That's a word I've never heard before. Uh, some people have, some people haven't, but yeah. we're really trying to get it out more. Um, so physical literacy is something that doesn't just apply in childhood; mm-hmm. it applies throughout the lifespan. Um, and it's this idea that, um, well, it's defined as the motivation, confidence, physical competence, knowledge, and understanding to value and take responsibility for being active for life. And it's basically this idea that you have psychological and physical components that work together to encourage you to be active um, and allow you to be active. And so what I'm studying is I'm actually working with different clinics at CHEO and some of the outpatients at CHEO. So some of the kids that either have a cardiac diagnosis or Mm. live with diabetes or um, maybe live with a blood disorder. What's, what are their barriers to physical activity? What are their, and physical literacy actually. So instead of just looking at physical activity, looking at both the psychological and the physical and what are their um, support systems for developing physical literacy and are they different between groups and are they the same? Because when you look at certain kids that might have like medically necessary physical activity restrictions, a lot of them, though they may differ as to reasons why, it might be they're all they all need to limit, um, or let's say they can't push themselves, so they need to be given opportunities for rest. And the reasons might be different between the kids, but they all need opportunities to rest. So what mm. types of physical activity environments can you provide for them that allow for that? Mm-hmm. Um, which might be a common barrier between them, but it's also something that we can easily intervene on. And my thought is um, we can pull we can pool more resources when we're looking at more kids rather than focusing on specific kids. In my master's, I looked at just the cardiac clinic. Mm-hmm. Um which was so great, and I loved it. And then um, I, as I worked in different clinics, I was like, oh, they're very similar to the cardiac kids. Why are we not pooling resources right. together? So I'm actually partnering with a community organization in Ottawa to offer a multi-sport program, and I'm going to put those kids in that program and see um, how their physical literacy develops throughout their participation. Okay. And to see if it's different or the same. So I know you kind of talked about phys- physical literacy. Like, what are some of the components that make up what physical literacy is? Like, where do you first start picking that up? What are, like, what does it mean to be physically literate? literate? I know you, like, you kind of yeah. went through it. The definition. Um, well, yeah, like, let's, <laughs> like... Along. Break it down. Yeah, in like practical terms. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think, like, as a kid, like, is it me, like, just going through life and you pick up different things from... Different sports, different gym classes. Different experiences. Okay. Yeah. So you're picking up. So as a kid, um, you have recess. You have maybe, maybe you're walking, um, walking to school every day. Maybe you're biking to school every day. Maybe on the weekends you go to the ski hill. Maybe on the weekends you play basketball. Um, All of the, it's an accumulation of these experiences, which inform how motivated you are. Because let's say they're bad experiences, you're not going to be very motivated to keep going. Mm. Um, I I can remember in childhood having um, a bad experience with um, volleyball. I didn't make a team. Mm. And that discouraged me from playing volleyball all throughout high school. Even though, like, secretly there was part of me that really liked it still. Like, I was still 
I had an enjoyment for it. I thought it was still really a great sport. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't make that team in the sixth grade, it stopped me from being motivated or confident in my ability to play volleyball right. in high school. So, and then through that, because I wasn't motivated to play and because I wasn't confident in playing, I never actually developed the skills to play volleyball. So you could never catch up even right. if you wanted to play. Right. Mm, okay. I, it would take a greater amount of motivation and really get my butt into gear right. <laughs> to do that. Right. Um, same thing for positive experiences. Um, if you're in an environment where you're encouraged and you're praised and you're given positive feedback, you're more likely to want to do that and you feel more confident and you build the skills because you spend more time doing it. Um, and it's not about focusing on one particular sport. I think what's important is that you should have these positive experiences in a variety of contexts. Um, like some organizations talk about um, land, like sea and air, hmm. having, being able to be active in all those ways. Interesting. <laughs> so, um, how would you be active in the air? I'm, I'm trying to We're think thinking of that like too. gymnastics, like, gymnastics, diving. Oh, that shit right? scares me. No way. <laughs> right. So you're not very confident for that. Not in the air. No, you, I can, I'm not a great right. swimmer either, but I sort of can, but right. Or like jumping and, 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 or like trampolining, let's say, yeah, gymnastics. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's this idea of how do we become literate in our bodies, like understand ourselves understand what we can and can't do um, and manipulate our motor skills and selves to be able to be active in these different contexts. It's like kids that play multiple sports are able to just pick up one and do another without much adjustment, right? Right. Like if they've never tried a sport before, but they've played multiple sports and they try a new sport, they're able to adapt and learn because they're physically literate. Mm, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a huge conversation around that and specifically hockey right now because a lot of parents are like you, you play hockey 365, your summer camps, skills coaches. There's a lot of that movement. And then there's a lot of like people be like, no, you need to play a lot of sports, like play baseball in the summer, play basketball and like go do other things and then come back to hockey in the fall. Right. It's kind of like a big debate. I, I don't even know if it's nope. a big debate, but it, it is It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, so one of my committee members, um, you know, like an advisor that I have on my PhD committee, he gave a presentation to um, a, bu- a room of exercise psychology students. And he basically said, hockey is a cannibal. Oh, damn. <laughs> he went there. He said, hockey is a cannibal. And, it does not leave any room for anything else. It sucks all that time out of you because um, you're expected to do these training camps and um, yeah. and it research has shown it's not beneficial not only to the athlete but to the whole person, right? Because if that's your only identity is playing hockey and then when you grow up and if you're not lucky enough to make it, because it's all luck really, yeah. lucky enough to make it to the – um, to the pros, and even if you do make it to the pros and can't do it anymore, then what, right? Yeah. So by sampling different sports, it not only it, there's research that shows that it prevents injury, um, that it makes you a better player, but it also gives you broader life experiences that you're able to draw on um, as you age and as you transition out of sport. 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other, so you, you, you said you're focusing on kids and you're going to try to get them physically literate and like, how do you go about, you know, instilling this stuff in children? Right. Because, you know, they don't even want to do their math homework, (laughs) let alone like learn about all this and all the benefits, like the, right. The brain's not developed enough to understand like, oh, if I benefit from this, it's going to make me so much better when I'm an adult. Right. Honestly. You got to give kids for credit. They know more than you think you know. They they know more than you think they know. Interesting. It's it's mind blowing. But do you put it on the the parents, the teachers, the gym teacher, the coaches, the kid? Is it like are you trying to build like a community like system where like everyone is contributing the way they're supposed to contribute to this system to to grow a healthy child into a well physically literate adult. If I had 20 years to do my PhD, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's absolutely the the route you would go. Right. To and it's a community-based that would be a community-based project where you're really addressing all of the socio-environmental factors. It takes a village, mm-hmm. right? What I can do is the hour that I have them in that multi-sport program I can make sure that the coaches know effective teaching strategies, how to engage the kids. Mm. Um, there's different strategies that you can use to engage kids and different approaches. The kids that don't want to play, there is a reason why. And if you sit down on their level and ask them, they'll be able to tell you and you can figure out a way to get them involved based on what they're telling you. Interesting. It just, you just need to ask. Well, what are what are some healthy... You know, you mentioned talking to these coaches and using mm-hmm. things to get them not necessarily like both, like the kids who do want to play and the other, but like what are effective coaches techniques, right? Because a lot of the old school mentality is like drill sergeant, yelling, <laughs> screaming, <laughs> uh, benching, you know, yeah. and sometimes people respond to that. Right. Um, a lot of the time they don't. Right. Um, and that's more elite sport. Though. Not, not even elite sport. Right. That's okay. more competitive sport. So. The types of programs I'm interested in are the recreational ones, the non-competitive ones. No, you got to play to win. That's how we play. Well, you can still play to win, <laughs> but you're not playing necessarily for a trophy. You can play to win within that hour. Yeah. Right? And you can play as a team to win, but then when you go home, it's that was just one good experience. You go mm-hmm. home and it it's not a part of your identity that you won that game. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It, competition is healthy. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why kids see see I'm not one to say oh don't make it an make make all the games non-competitive no mm-hmm. but if you do have a kid that responds really poorly to that don't emphasize the competition you can make it and you'll have some kids that say okay we got a point all right you keep track of the points versus as a coach I'm not going to emphasize this team is winning you guys pick it up like other team. Mm-hmm. Pick up the pace. Do more. They're beating you, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not in a non-competitive setting in a recreational environment. It's not necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You so, know when you're winning. It's true. Kids always yeah, know. They know. <laughs> so what are like some things like you know? I think a lot of people I consider themselves they want to be leaders, coaches, teachers. Mm-hmm. What are things that they can do that are positive? reinforcements to what you're trying to teach right um bottom line being empathetic 
to the kids. Okay. It's hard for a lot of people. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard for a lot of people with adults to yeah. be empathetic. Yeah. And to kids especially, especially if you don't remember what it's like being in their shoes. Right. Being empathetic to them. And, uh, yeah. I'm not to yeah. cut you off. I, I think no, I was, ta- I was, there was an article I read and I think I brought it up on a, I can't remember if it was a real life conversation or a podcast, but it was like this actual, like, I wish I remember the term. I think I was talking this with Quadjo where people have this mentality that like, because it happened to me, you also have to go through it. Oh yeah. No, I know what you're talking yeah. about, but I can't. Ah, you can't either. Yeah. No, no one ever remembers no. the term, No, but it's so interesting and so yeah. true, right? Like my coach yelled at me and so, so you have to, yeah, you, and yeah. I turned out okay. Like that whole yeah. mentality. Right. And that right. goes back to that empathy thing where so many people lack it because they think that their experience has to be everyone else's experience right from a leader's perspective yeah but then if you remember what it's like when you were that kid how would you have preferred the situation to be handled and as a teacher you still have objectives you still have to keep you still have teaching objectives you still want them to um learn the skills let's say like i i coach multi-sport so i still want them to learn specific skills i want to get through the lessons i want them to practice their social skills and i want to play a game with them right Mm -hmm. How do I meet those objectives while engaging a child that wants to just sit on the side, right? And it's about going back and forth. So you engage the rest of the class and you let that child sit out. And then once the rest of the class is doing the activity, you go back to that child and talk to them. Say, hey, I noticed you're sitting here. Is there, why are you sitting down? Um, They might shrug and you can give them suggestions. Are you scared? Are you nervous? Do you not like this game? And if you give them suggestions, they might say, yeah, I'm scared. Okay, why are you scared? We can do it together. And and it it may take a little bit more time to to do it with them and, and take that time to mm-hmm. um, understand because you might see them try to do it and you can immediately pinpoint the feedback that you can give them to make them successful. Mm-hmm. So like, let's say it's a, a soccer kick. If they're, um, if they're, running beside the ball rather than directly behind it. Let's say you can just reposition them and say, Oh, you have to be directly behind the ball. Let's start from behind the ball, take three steps back and then go and kick the ball. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's a very basic example, but by understanding, okay, they're nervous or they, they're scared or they can't do it. Okay. I can help. Here's mm-hmm. how I'm going to help. Um, I've had kids that don't like losing and when they lose, they sit out. And you <laughs> I used to like switch teams. Or, <laughs> right, yeah, right. I didn't, yeah. Right. And and so for the kid, and honestly, switching teams is not a bad idea. Mm. Right? Like if that's to get the kid engaged, you say, okay, well, the rest of the team, first you tried to get them back to the rest. The rest of the team needs you. They're also, you guys are a team. They're also not winning. They also didn't score a point, let's say. They're also behind. Um, but... The more of you there are out there, the better you'll do. And even if you don't win a po- win a point, you're still going to try your best. And it's just using that language rather than just letting them go to the side and say, "Oh, they're difficult. They always do this," mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or yelling at them to get back here, or else you can't come back, or else you have to sit out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always punishment. Yeah. Um, punishment because it's, it's easy. It's yeah. easier, it's less time consuming, you're yeah. in control, you assert your dominance. It's, it's unfortunate, but right. like 
you know, in the world we live in, especially today, it's just, it's hard to sometimes find time yes. or, or the energy or the energy. Oh, it takes to, so much energy. Yeah. Patience. Patience. You know, you yeah. had a shitty day at work. You had, you know, you're barely making your mortgage payments. Like everything's piling up. And then you have this kid who's being difficult and I have to like, <laughs> sit the, you know, like yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It takes a lot of conscious effort for yeah. people to recognize that and do it even though it is the right thing right and it and it's teaching that and showing like some of the coaches that i work with when when they see it they're like oh oh that's the difference it can make like um i was coaching in the summer and one of the coaches i i wasn't there the previous week but there was a girl that she might have had a diagnosis on the spectrum i'm not sure but Mm -hmm. she was definitely going to the beat of her own drum and it was soccer. And he said, oh, yeah, last week I had to give her like five timeouts because she w- she just wasn't listening. And I look at her and she's basically just picking daisies and har- harming nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, and she's not doing it maliciously. It's like, okay, well, don't give her timeouts. Just see. And, and maybe she wasn't doing the skill. Okay, how do you see this? And getting her perspective on it and then saying, okay, well, this is how I see it. Do you want to do it with me? And then I'll do it like you. Right? And then you're still doing it Mm. and then she and then she was so much more focused throughout the whole lesson because she wasn't being penalized for seeing the world in her own way right and it didn't really take that much time out of the class right it was like we were doing drills and it was like okay half of the half you're gonna go halfway doing it the way you want to do and then halfway doing it the way that i'm gonna do Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh i mean not only in kids but as you're saying this like this is just a a concept people are just picking up with adults yeah. and leadership and yeah. workplace, yeah. right? Like before, again, it was that drill sergeant mentality. I'm the boss. You follow me. Where it's like everyone has these truly unique needs and different ways of responding to things uh, and that you need to focus individually on each. And the individual learning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's actually so interesting that you say that because a lot of the leadership work that's done in sport um, comes from like managerial leadership that comes from because it's very much the same the the theory is the same yeah it's just how you apply it might be a bit different but it's the same yeah because you're you're trying to take someone and meet an objective whether Mm -hmm. that objective is to win the game right or to get better uh develop or you know you want you're you're trying to take someone along and make them better in whatever it is and that you know I, I just always take it to, to hockey and you you look at someone like Mike Babcock who just, I don't know if you even follow sports, but he went through a big thing because he went through kind of a weird psychological thing with Mitch Marner and it came right. out after he got fired. Right. Right. And people are all talking about, you know, the coaches of when we were kids, the 90s, the 80s, the... The dance teacher with a cane. Yeah. Yeah. Was... <laughs> you know, yeah. so very similar thing, right? <laughs> like... Or, or teachers or coaches, right? right? As we develop and understand the psychology of humans and what's going to make them respond, mm-hmm. that you had to focus on that individual need and their perspective on, right. on the world and how they see things and right. through their experiences, you know, right. very into learning about that when it pertains to mental health and how, you know, people are depressed or, or anxious and how what you're doing to them might be perceived a different way because of their their illness Experience. right yeah 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 because of their illness it's very interesting yeah yeah um 
Yeah. <laughs> so by doing this with kids and you're focusing on kids, like what mm-hmm. are you hoping to instill? Are you trying to create healthier kids? Yes. Are you trying to give them the <laughs> tools to be healthier adults and hopefully make an, a, a better adult population? Yes. Like what's what's the goal of this kind of study? I know yes you said yes to, to everything. Yes. Yes to all of that. <laughs> Healthy people. Um, yeah, it's about... It's hard to, okay, with those individual kids, it's building their physical literacy. Mm-hmm. Now it might go down and like physical literacy is one of those things. It's a lifelong journey and that's, it's literally a lifelong mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. and you're going to have ebbs and flows. Um, let's say you're even just a hockey player and you suffer a really bad concussion. Um, that's going to mess with your motivation, your confidence, your physical competence, and then you're back to square one. And it's about developing that again. And how do you do that post-concussion, right? right? So that's like one example. Um, With these kids, in this time period, I want to see, is a community multi-sport program where they're all participating, can it make a difference in their physical literacy now? If it can, then it's better setting them up for future years to understand, oh, I played we do sports like fencing and curling. I played curling. I was actually pretty good at that, I remember. I'm, I'm going to try it again. Oh, I remember I had to do this. Things like that and those mm-hmm. experiences. Um, I I played um, tennis or I played badminton and it's really similar to tennis. I think I could be good at tennis. Like I had one participant in a, in a focus group. Um, he said, I like mini pulp. I like mini putt and I'm good at mini putt. So I think I want to try golf. And it's like having the, that internal dialogue in their heads. Okay. Like, oh, I have this really positive experience in this program with this sport. I want to try this sport. I want to, I want to play it next season. Um, that's what we're, we're hoping for because that will bridge into, oh, I want to try this now. I want to try this. I want to try this. And then they get into a- adolescence and adulthood and they keep wanting to try it from these positive experiences. Okay. So instilling that kind of that dialogue in their own head that yes. that basic i guess yes. planting the seed yes and then like encourage it like based watering it growing it with encouragement with and positive encouragement. experience okay yeah i'm catching on now yeah so and ultimately yes they will be healthier right mm-hmm. um especially these kids that live with a chronic disease are more susceptible to um developing further chronic diseases if we can prevent that like through physical activity, which mm-hmm. has been shown to be a, a, a like a preventing factor of developing chronic disease later in life, mm-hmm. um, if we can do that now, why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and another goal for me is I really want to be kind of, or I want to liaise the community with the clinicians. So having the clinicians know that there's this program that they can refer their patients to if they're right. having if they're struggling with physical activity and having the community know how to respond to those kids that are coming from Chio, my job's done. Right. <laughs> if that can happen and it, long term that can happen, that that would be the best thing to me. Is there a lot of dialogue with that now? Like I'm just because I'm not in. the Yeah. Right. Like I, yeah. I wouldn't know. Like I was never like prescribed hockey you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) but like what what you know we just i just had quadron the the last episode right there's lots of things going on in healthcare with lots of different things and sometimes we we 
do like I mentioned on the podcast, we are more reactive than we are proactive. And what you're suggesting might be a little bit more of a proactive, proactive. approach. Yeah. Look at us, we're already completing each other's sentences. I love it. Um but you know, like it right now, like is is that conversation between doctors and patients happening? Or is it something that like you're hoping that you're gonna have to really it's a lot of work that you're gonna have to grow it. So it is happening. They are talking there are they are talking about physical activity. They are being like their patients are being asked about what they do the parents are being asked what they do to, to stay physically active and the clinicians are being asked by parents what should they do for physical activity because they know it's important so the importance of it is not lost anymore where it might have been before mm -hmm. now it's valued as important it's more thinking okay what can they do what do you recommend so parents will have to say what do you recommend to the clinicians and they have so they have so many things to remember and so many things to do. Of course, yeah. Um, that they don't necessarily know what to exactly to recommend. They go and as they should, they say, "Oh, we'll ask your child what they like to do. What do they like to do?" Okay, I can sort of say yes or no to certain things, or if they like hockey, but they're um, they have limited endurance. Okay, put them in a league where they're able to take frequent breaks. Put them in a league where the coach isn't going to push them past their limits. That would be the advice of the, clin of the clinicians. But if they have a kid that they know um, isn't very active, like from the clinician's perspective, they know isn't very active, um, they don't know what activities are available to the kid. Mm -hmm. It could be as easy as saying, hey, there's this program that we know of. It's really close by. You can check it out. Um, it's really important for your child to be active. And in this program, they're trying different activities. And we've had other kids from CHEO do it. It's an easy sort of way for the clinicians already to know that it's safe and appropriate for them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to say, hey, you need a little bit more help with your physical activity um, rather than referring them to a physical activity specialist, which is ideally if we could do that, but we don't have the money for that in healthcare. Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Let's put them into a community program with other kids um, that might be like them or might not be like them. And we know that it's good for them and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That it's kind of that that top that conversation is a little bit of a touchy subject with yeah. some because you get into conversate topics like fat phobia, um, right. discrimination against you know fat people with doctors because there seems to be a disconnect with doctors saying people need to be physically active and people taking that very you know, taking that very negatively and like it's an attack on them. Because they're thinking that's the only thing that they need to do. Right. To be better. Oh, to be better, you, you just have to be active. Where like, and I live, breathe, eat physical activity, but I don't think that's the only thing that you need to be healthy. Right. Right? Yeah. I've and talked about that with mental health. Like, yeah. Exercise is crucial for, for me and I know for right. a lot of people. And it's, again, so we, we have the science here. It's mm -hmm. all here. Um, but again, that's, we were talking off air about Rogan and yeah. taking mushrooms and exercise <laughs> to cure depression, right? Like it's not quite, <laughs> there's parts of it that are, yeah, but okay. So you're saying that those people perceive it as that's the only thing they can do or the doctor's just saying, oh, just lose weight and you'll be fine. No, it's part, it's, it's not about weight at all with these kids. It's not about, like I'm talking about yeah, in yeah, this yeah. context. It's not about weight at all. Okay. It's about, they know that being active is in addition to the treatment that they're getting, 
beneficial okay. to their long-term right. health. Right. So that's the conversation more that they're having. Not, right. Okay. And, it, and it's not even in a, in a lens to, um, if they see that the child is like, let's say their BMI is off the charts or whatever. Um, there are other clinics for that as well um, to address those um, like obesity related issues that mm-hmm. are obesity, obesity related. Um, but it's more about just getting that child active. Right. Yeah. Just strengthening. Yeah. And I can't speak on all clinicians perspectives because there might be some that are more inclined to talk about physical activity with kids that maybe don't look, mm-hmm. look, the and mold, I, yeah. I'm air quoting now look as physically active. Um, but it should be th- that. And the recommendations are that conversation should happen with all patients. What's your physical activity look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people just, really don't like that question. Some yeah. people don't like that question, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah. And I understand why. Yeah. Because if that's if that's their experience with doctors. Oh, uh, uh, look at you. Okay. The psychology is coming out here. Past experiences informing future thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, just, I, I don't even know if you know the answer to this, but I'm just curious. I so probably I'm, don't. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I'm fascinated with people who are able to push the limits of their physical like their physical capabilities the guy who ran a marathon under two hours yeah or like you know i follow people like uh david goggins who broke the record for chin-ups in 24 hours like these people that seem to just be able to do um insane things i wish i remember his name but he swam around england and like the england island whatever great britain um, he Love swam it. around it. Like Love these it. people who can push past physical limitations. Mm-hmm. Is there any of that in, in your study or do you have any insight on how that kind of stuff is possible? Or are you just as much in awe as I am? That's not my line. Yeah, right. I'm okay. just as much in awe. Um, and some people do. So there's those master athletes that run ultra marathons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Courtney yeah. D. Walter, yeah. you know, like. So like, and there is research being done to understand their experiences and like, how do they get to that point where they're doing that? Because they have high physical literacy. Uh, evidently, but it, but if it's <laughs> but if it's to a point where it's detrimental to them, then well, that's what it's I mean, not, right? Like right? you hear like stories of like their feet bleeding and they just tape it up and they they go running. Yeah, but ballet dancers have their feet bleed. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> um, true. And, a, and a, a bleeding foot will heal. Yeah, it's just. And I've always been so fascinated how people <laughs> push. Right, because sometimes like I'm in the gym, I'm like, oh, I can literally not <laughs> run anymore. Right, I feel like sick. But some people would be like, no, just push past it. And but there are like, some days where you're probably like, oh, I can push a little bit more. Yeah, right. You know, it's like that balance of like, yeah. keep pushing through and getting better, or am I actually going to kill myself and from this Meal exercise? Over. Right, it's one yeah. of those. Yeah, I don't know that like that stuff really fascinates me. Yeah, like how you can push yourself to the next thing. Yeah, like. I could, I will never run a marathon in my life ever just because I know that that's not a push that I desire. Fair enough. Right. Like you like, could, if you wanted to, if and I really to train, wanted to, but that's not, yeah, that's it's not, not my something idea of fun. I desire. I did a 10 K. It was on my bucket list. I did it. I, I basically crawled at the end. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, I like suffered through the last half of it, but I did it. And that mm. to me was like, that was my goal. I accomplished it. It kind of hurt, but we got through it. Yeah. Um, will I run a 10K again? Probably, because I know I can do it. Will I go for a marathon? No, because <laughs> I yeah. know that 
that's not the experience that I want. Yeah, I hate running. Yeah, I no. ran today. I'm not a fan. I, I just do then it. Don't do it. I know, but then don't do it. Part of me was like just to. It's part of my exercise routine. One day a week, okay. I will run. Okay. It's not everything I do. It's just I just run one day a week. Like I'll do other cardio, which is fine. Right. I just don't like prolonged running. Prolonged running, but then you can do like it's just as good to. Like, run for two minutes, walk for two minutes, run for two minutes, walk for Don't two minutes. Don't tell me that. No, tell me that I have to run faster. Okay, you have to run faster and harder. And <laughs> Don't use your psychology. If you're not puking by the end of it, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that, I guess that's a really interesting point. Like, do you prioritize different forms of activity over the other? Like, obviously, you're no. not telling the kids to go be doing deadlifts. No. Like, or is like any activity? Like, this goes back to the podcast I had with Amanda, like, yeah. where she's just like, move just move movement's good i'm not prescribing anything just move right um so yes but also some type of structure because if they want to play a game a sport or a tag game or something they have to understand how to follow rules and how to manipulate their actions to like in in basketball you're not allowed to just take the ball and run right right you have to know how to dribble um and you should be able to play pickup basketball if that's what you want to do and know how to play. Um, so it's about introducing structure and knowledge as well. So in what in the program that I have or that, I, that I'm doing, um, the first five minutes are just free play. Just move. Just grab whatever ball you want. Do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Move. I remember that in gym yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It takes, you can shoot. You can shoot. You can run. against the wall. You yeah, can yeah. walk around. Whatever you want to do. We'll, we'll play some music and you can do whatever you want to do. And then after that, you start to learn, okay, this is um, like in badminton, we we're learning um, or, or was teaching just volleys over mm -hmm. like rallies. And we have balloons instead of birdies. And it's just a little bit more fun for the kids. And it's like, okay, just try to get over the net. If you can't get over the net, that's fine. Um, get it on the racket and start manipulating it through space, right? giving them a goal and giving them different levels to achieve that goal and they pick which ones they want to go to. So it's there's choice still in there. I think that's a big thing with teaching is still giving choice. Mm. Like mm. there's structure, there's a goal, but the child or the individual, you go to the gym, you still have a choice of what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That goes a long way. Um, and then you're building towards certain goals and certain skills and fitness because yes, it is good for them to just, and like, especially kids, as we talked about in the beginning, they innately just want to play. Mm -hmm. um, but we also want them to have the skills to play with their friends that are playing a basketball game outside or their friends that are swimming in the pool if they're playing Marco Polo or like, you know, we still want them to be able to join in on those experiences and mm -hmm. have the skills to do that mm -hmm. and the confidence to do that. Right. So that's, that's more what, what it's about. Um, but yes, what she was saying about just going and moving from a motivational perspective, if you're not doing anything is better than nothing. Right. And from your perspective, it's don't push yourself past the limit where you're not going to enjoy it. Right. Like, if you don't enjoy running, but you but you value it, okay, then run, because mm -hmm. you because you obviously do. If it's part of your routine, like you value it, 
you might not enjoy it and maybe you'll get to a point where you'll enjoy it mm. <laughs> <laughs> or not yeah <laughs> so then the, then you're talking about different like intrinsic and ex- extrinsic motivation and sources mm-hmm. of motivation so that's it's a beautiful segue because i wanted to talk to yeah. you about motivation next because yeah. that was one of the true fascinating things when you sent me the notes of things you could talk about yeah because that's the one like everybody needs help with yeah right like it is hard to find motivation sometimes yeah sometimes i'll sit in my i mean we have a gym here i I go to good life now but i used to like sit in my office for like 45 minutes just being like (laughs) i'm I'm gonna go i know i'm gonna go but i'm just like i'm not ready yet right how am i gonna go all right Right. let's let's go i'll I'll watch maybe an inspiring video on on youtube or instagram or i'll listen to a song or i'll just try to right okay let's go let's do it right like <laughs> what what makes motive like how do we even f- uh it's a big question motivation is a big thing yeah so but, there's different types of motivation too oh, perfect so I'm glad that you just picked off on there yeah yeah so somebody that just loves running for no particular reason they just it's a part of them that's mm-hmm. more intrinsic Psychopaths, motivation. yeah <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, those people. <laughs> um, they, that's a source of intrinsic motivation, and that is a part of them. Um, then there's types of ext- extrinsic motivation, and it's a, it's a, it's a range, and it's a, it, and it starts from um, like truly extrinsic, like you're going to get a prize for right. You're going to get something tangible out of running for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a tangible chocolate bar for running for 20 minutes, but you won't get that if you don't run for 20 minutes, mm. okay? Um, then there are there's a type of extrinsic motivations like, I know it's good for me, so I'm going to do it because I know it's good for my health, mm-hmm. let's say. Or I know if I, if I run, then I can eat whatever I want. Or so it's, I know it's good for me, I, and I know I should be doing it, so I'm going to do it. Those types of motivation are not, long-lasting what yes oh, i was gonna say i <laughs> fall <not>. totally <laughs> under that other one <laughs> which is fine which is fine because it, it, it's like that ebb and flow too so they're not long-lasting and then there's um the closest one to intrinsic motivation and now i'm like totally blanking okay let's go back on your notes here yeah in my <laughs> giant head <laughs> Ugh, and i wrote my comps on this is so embarrassing <laughs> um yeah, so it's close to intrinsic motivation where it's not, but it's not innately a part of you. So let's say you had um, a friend that you ran with that you, you enjoy spending time with that friend mm-hmm. and that time is running. So you're going to run. But because you enjoy spending time with my, that friend, that's why you run because the only time you get to see that friend is when you run, let's say. So it's still a, a form of an extrinsic motivation, but it is more aligned with enjoyment. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm I, I'm doing so poorly. I should just because you're hanging out fail. with your yeah, yeah you're hanging out with your friend. <laughs> you just happen to be running. Right, and that's what you do. So like, if you go to a gym where like they know your name and you know oh they're gonna like I'm accountable to them, but also I really like that feeling of when they welcome me to the gym. Hmm. That's a really good feeling. Or I really like fitting in these clothes or I really like that I don't need a puffer when I go up the stairs at work right like things like that Mm -hmm. 
those are things that you enjoy about being active, not necessarily the action itself. So that's the key to motivation that, in a way that you need to somehow tie some sort of enjoyment. Enjoyment to it. To it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's not already intrinsically enjoyable to you, and there's nothing wrong with ex- extrinsic sources of motivation, research just shows that they aren't long-lasting for behavior change. So if we were to like put you in an exercise intervention, um, and we were to use more external sources of motivation, if we were to follow up with you six months later, the likelihood of you adhering to that would be really low. Right. But, but possible. But possible. Right. But possible. Yeah. Because as you, when you first said it, so I really fall under the, I know it's good for me. Right. Now, right. yeah, I do like the way I feel after and yeah. that's, that's why I do it. But then when you brought in the next part, it's like, you kind of like, you like seeing, I like seeing body change and that right. brings me enjoyment. Right. And I'm like, oh, my arms are a yeah. little bit bigger. Oh, my, the jeans are a little looser. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like, okay. But like for the last, like I made a change December 29th. 2017 where i was like that's fantastic yeah i'm going to go to the gym now yes and that is now going to be a part of me right and i've just been doing it ever since right it first started with dating because i was like <laughs> i'm gonna get so like buff and all, all that and then it didn't <laughs> still not quite there like I, I that's another you know when we talk about yeah. exercise just to transition a little bit like that that can be a big thing that like deflates motivation, right? Because right. you think that those gains are going to come quickly, and when they're not, it's incredibly defeating. And we yeah. basically have a whole health industry that relies on you giving up. Well, that's <laughs> part of the reason why those extrinsic sources of motivation aren't long-lasting. Right. Because if that's what you're relying on, you're not necessarily going to... Or you're going to plateau, and you're not going to see that, so why are you going to continue if that's your only source of motivation? Like, I'm sure that you have, like, you might think, yeah, that's, that's why I do it. But there are other aspects of it that. Yeah. You just got to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Why am I that you might aware? not be aware of, right? Yeah. Might be, Oh, like I, I actually feel really good. And, and that is a great source of motivation when you do it and you feel really good. And that goes back to what I'm talking about with the kids. When we put them in a program and they're successful and they feel really good doing it and they get that encouraged, they get that high five from the coach. Then it's like, oh, this is good. I like this. Mm-hmm. And that could carry into motivation to do it again. Right. right. And it's still more ex- ex- extrinsic. And then you get the kids that come in, live, breathe, eat hockey, love hockey, and it's just a part of them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's different. They don't necessarily need that same kind of encouragement where the kids that are unsure about it are. Mm-hmm. But same goes for adulthood. Those people that you see in the gym that it's just their natural habitat and they just love it and they enjoy mm-hmm. it. They just intrinsically enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think those are very few and far between, yeah. though. <laughs> I find it really interesting. So when I think about things broadly, I'm sure if I went into at least a little more in depth in my my life, things might change a little bit. But when I think about it broadly, I always responded much more to failing, to negativity, to responding to that adversity. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that as like a like an egotistical thing like so like i would get cut from the competitive team right and i'd be like fuck you coach i'm gonna work harder and i'm gonna show you up and then the next year come back to try out some better get cut again well you know what right my whole life and that's probably not a healthy way to live life sometimes (laughs) but i've always fed off of the negativity when i for the most part when i was positively encouraged 
I would kind of take it for granted. And okay. I would be like, like, oh, whatever. Coach loves me. Uh, you know, I'm not going to work as hard today or whatever. I'm going to take a little bit off. Right. Um, but when I would get, the, not necessarily like yelled at him, but like when something would not go my way, that would motive. I'd be like, oh, hell no. Right. Now we're going to go. Right. Like, where does that fall into this whole motivation or, or psychology yeah. or like, because what we were talking about, right, we're boosting, boosting kids and, and right. giving them tools, right? But there are a lot of people who respond. The way that you describe. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's those kids that you're like, I know you're better than this. So show me you're better than this. Okay. And, and then when they do better, it's like, that's it. And like recognizing that, okay, like I do have to push myself. Because I have, I have told kids before, nope, not good enough. I know you're better. I, like I'm not afraid to tell kids that, because mm. if I know that they're better mm-hmm. than that, I know that they're better than that. And if like yeah, like I, I've I've told them that before. It's not coddling, and I think that's sort of where it gets sort of lost. Cause yeah, if you, if yeah. you provide an environment that's just like, oh, great job, great job, great job, everyone's doing so well. But you know those kids that are sort of like, yeah, I know, I'm I'm great. They're yeah. not pushing themselves. Right. You say, nope, I know you can do better. So it's like a big. Balancing, a balancing act. act. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And and when you work with a lot of different types of kids, you can start to recognize which ones are which. Yeah, once you're familiar with yeah. them, you can pick yeah. up on them for you sure. Pick up on them. And then the kids that are daisy pickers because they just live in their own world and the kids that are actively not listening to you because they want to start shit. Those oh, yeah. kids exist too. Oh yeah, my So those are the my kids. My brother's one of those. <laughs> Like just deliberately causing shit just because yes. he can. Yeah, because he can, and th- and those are and that's that's not where I would be like, oh, so how are you? Fe-? Like, no, that would be a kid where I'm like, nope, you don't you don't get this. We do this. We like lay down the law. So it it's you you kind of have to and just we were talking about individual differences. You have yeah. to adapt the individual differences and like that goes for kids that are three years old that I work with and kids that are not kids, young adults that are 19, 20 years old that I work with too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a TA. So like that understanding different individual personalities and how you adapt to that. Yeah. So, I mean, where do you get the, so I know obviously you're studying your PhD, so you have a lot of knowledge, right? But That's like, not really where my knowledge, well. But I just mean like, where... You're drawing on the research, right? Right. Like on, on the studies, on what works and what doesn't work, and you're trying to apply that to coaching. But I also draw on my personal experience. Right, okay. Yeah, I can't... If we were to just to draw on the research, like, research is fantastic. Research is necessary. Research is really well done when it's when it's really... can be really well done. Um, but it's important to draw on personal experience as well. Like, I'm right. a big... Um, proponent of that because um, if we just looked at the science and the numbers and we can't explain why people are outliers and fall outside mm-hmm. of that but we can by personal experience then why wouldn't we use that anecdotal experience right it just makes me think of like the person with like the parenting book and being like the kid like <laughs> screaming like throwing everything and you're like Appendix B. If we, we go down and speak at his level empathetically he's going to respond how are you like you know like kids are very non yeah to just sit there and you're right like so i think the research that i do (laughs) has given me like 
more backing to the experience, right, right, right. like to the work that I do in, in the field, mm-hmm. right? Um, like the coaching and the teaching work. Then I'll often encounter things that conflict with the research that I find. And then I have to learn a way to adapt. And that happens too, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I didn't expect that because that's not what I read. And that's not what statistically is known as. So it's, it's both. Mm-hmm. So then what are other things that I can draw on? Or what do I know about myself and this person and how can I adapt? And like, even I've had classes where one strategy works and then the next class and they might not seem any different, but the same strategy doesn't work. Right. Right. Um, but research helps us sort of define those strategies, understand where our efforts need to be placed mm-hmm. more. Um, talking about from a mental health perspective, understanding what's highly detrimental mm-hmm. versus what's supportive. Gotcha. And then sort of working within that. Yeah. What do you think the future of this, like what you're trying to do? Like, is there a lot of like community support uh government support is there a lot of people trying to implement this type of change or because i remember talking with uh nina on a previous podcast she's getting into like workplace mental health which is not really related i was like how many people are studying that she's like "Mm, like kind of like three i'm like oh damn okay like is there has this been a push for a long time is is this more of a relatively new thing like what what's kind of like if you could say semi realistically what the future of this is what like where do you think it's going so within the past 10 years canada especially has sort of been a leader right it, it, if we're talking about physical literacy yeah. stuff yeah um policy wise so in government policy um in sporting organizations national sporting organizations and their grassroots um like Hockey Canada and their grassroots programs, physical literacy is is talked about. Um, they talk about it in the terms of long-term athletic development. Um, so it's a little bit different, but there is a push to get it known by the coaches. But the knowledge translation piece of it, I think personally, is lacking. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that what it's truly about is getting conveyed effectively. So I think there's a lot more work to do mm-hmm. there. Um, teachers. So teachers are starting to learn about it more um, in schools with regards to physical, like physical education specialists as well. Mm-hmm. Those exist. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is, there is actually a lot of people doing research in it and um, like participation, sport for life. These, these organizations, um, it's the background behind what they promote because right. if you think about physical literacy it's all those like it's a pretty wide yeah. concept yeah right? and it's it's the background which is informing everything that they're promoting which is physical activity it's the background that you need to be active so they're they're targeting healthcare. they're targeting so it, that's that's a new conversation like yeah. how physical literacy impacts health is a brand new conversation Little research has been done about it. Mm-hmm. Some models have been proposed. It's not something I feel like very comfortable talking about mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. there there are clear links with how physical activity impacts health and you can make assumptions, but like it's just not quite there yet. Right. So right. the future does lie there um, because we can talk about physical literacy in so many different lights. Like yeah, it's another, a very it big. Yeah. 
in like layman's terms, like how would you just like just I know we kind of did, it. but just like really just like as simplistic as possible. Like it's just understanding why being... having the physical and mental skills to be active in your life. Right. And okay. active doesn't mean necessary like it is physically active but physically active doesn't mean sport mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or going to the gym like physically present is even physically active okay you know so when you say like okay so like okay that was broadening it too much no it's okay <laughs> no i'm just like so like when it gets funneled down to say the grassroots hockey coach and right. it's like they're talking about physical literacy more now which is mm -hmm. good what what are they like? What's that like? First, like, what are they saying when you when you talk about they're teaching physical literacy to kids? Like, what is that first step? Yeah, like it's just like, hey, like if you learn this, it's like it's good. Like, 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 just it's more the conversation of if we want to build long term successful athletes, we have to start here. Okay, if we want to build long-term successful human beings we have to start here and fostering these physical and mental components in our grassroots hockey program so building their motivation building their motor skills building their hockey skills and from a fundamental basic level and up right that's how we're as as an organization are going to help them develop their physical literacy right Okay, because I was like picturing like, okay, class, we're going to talk about physical literacy no. today. <laughs> That's not, yeah. Yeah, okay, so it's yeah, like no. a very much a, like a very large encompassing process. Yeah. Got yeah. you. But it's about not discounting, not only looking at one side, it's not only looking at their hockey skills, right? It's looking at, okay, do they know why, do they, know why they have to do these skills in certain contexts? And so that's a knowledge piece. Mm -hmm. And are they going to feel confident doing this in a game? Mm-hmm. Are they going to feel motivated to do this when they have the puck? Right? Like, how do we how do we teach them to, to do those things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's more from the coach's perspective of, like, sort of ticking off this list. Okay. We taught them this skill. We're going to make sure that they're motivated to do it and know when to use it. Mm -hmm. Done. Right. Moving on. Perfect. <laughs> That's... A very simplistic way of looking no, at it. No, I love it because but, I'm really just trying to conceptualize. Like, yeah. So you've explained it and I kind of get it, but what is like, what does that look like in practice? Like in when practice. You, we're talking about yeah. like that first day, people are like, but I get it now. Like it's instilling, which was hockey coaches do. They instill right. the fundamentals, right? Right. One foot over the other. Right. First, you do the skate with the puck or the stick with the puck before you're learning how to do a big deke slap shot. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. And you build it slowly but surely along the way to get them right. to a point. And it's not just focusing on the skill itself. It's focusing on the mental components that are going to allow that kid to perform the skill. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's really confusing. Are you almost done? My PhD? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like halfway there. How long does it take for a PhD? Four to five years. Oh, wow. I'll be more five years. Yeah, I've yeah. been in school for a decade. <laughs> Like a full decade now since I moved to Ottawa. I've been in school. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's so, a lot of school. It's a lot. But it's like, I, I, I love learning. Like, I love yeah. learning. And I love teaching. Like, those are my two passions. So I'm okay. very well aligned. I, like, I'm with you. Like, I, I've always been 
I love learning. Like That's I love why you knowledge. Have this show. Well, exactly, right? <laughs> and I can hear it firsthand and like ask the questions firsthand and you know, I love listening to podcasts and I love reading yeah. and and all that. It's just I'd never I didn't find a lot of success learning in the the school setting. Yeah. You know, like I would find something interesting, like I loved history. I wouldn't really like learning about it in school, but like we would talk about ancient Egypt and then I'd go to Google and Wikipedia and I'd like like spend hours reading on that. And that's what graduate school is. It's like you have a particular area of interest and you research it on your own. Yeah. And like it's really your own self-guided learning. And then you're doing this project that's your own, that's based on your own interest. Mm-hmm. And it, it's less about learning what the prof is telling you to learn. And more about asking questions that you're actually interested in answering. Interesting. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Thanks. Maybe I should have went and did that. Not. Maybe not. Like, it's, it's, it's obviously not for everyone. I'm not saying it's not. Like, yeah. um, it's a lot. Yeah. I just. I, yeah. I don't have the time it's a, and no. energy to do it. And money too. Like. Right. Not paid well. Like, paid, not paid well. Um, <laughs> but. You are involved in some other things, yeah. which I find really interesting. I wear lots of hats. Yeah, we mentioned <laughs> off the top. Um, you're involved with the dating app world. Yeah. And capacities. Very, very small bit, but yes. But I find it interesting. Yeah. Because um, thank God I'm not involved with the dating. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> anymore. Like the actual dating part. Like, yeah, yeah, like that was a headache and a half <laughs> and years of heartbreak and distraughtness and deflated ego and I ate a lot of peanut butter in those years yeah right it's, it gave it's me comfort. uh is it getting better what is the dating world getting i know you're not in it but like no 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 but from my perspective of being in that world a little bit and in, in the initiatives mm-hmm. that they're putting out i don't know if it's getting better but there are more areas to connect with people right and there are more things, there are more opportunities to connect with people, I think, now more than ever before. Um, and I think people have to stick with what they enjoy and talk about what they're passionate about. And they will find people that catch their vibe. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like, it, uh, yeah. I found that it interesting there's um, more ways to connect with people that now, was always my uh like number one question i like to a- i ask in interviews i ask i used to ask when i was dating like what are you passionate about yeah and people were like oh well traveling i'm like no like <laughs> what's your passion <laughs> well, traveling. Like, you know like yeah what what lights your soul on fire right and some i remember one time some girls like wow that's a really deep psychological question and Why she un- she un- she like, okay, oh okay yeah <laughs> okay. why not guess that wasn't I'm good i don't know like but people don't want to be vulnerable off the top either it's true right like you you build a, a profile on a dating app how vulnerable are you really going to be on that profile not very you're going to put this more superficial yeah version of yourself and it might be that's a good point world traveler like love love puppies um live laugh love everyone was you the know? same <laughs> But, like, but if you can be authentic, but not necessarily vulnerable, and play the game, and uh, but but authentic at the same yeah. time, right? Like, 
then I, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to connect. Yeah. People. See, like I'm one of those people that just like right off the bat, like, I'm just, like, I just want to get to know you. I don't want to yeah. like do the song and dance. No. Like what's, and that's why like my like now girlfriend and I, like we've been dating just over a year. Um, we got a, like, we talked about stuff you are not supposed to talk about on the first date. That's okay. Um, but it worked and yeah. like, that's what I wanted and that's yeah. what she wanted and it, right. and it worked. Now right. I almost blew it trying to ask her out again because I was a bumbling idiot, <laughs> but that's besides the point. The date was great. She's going <laughs> to listen to this and laugh probably. Oh yeah. She tells that story any chance she gets. So that's fine. Um, but the date yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, but that would have like set a but, lot of people off. But you're on this, then that means that means it's good, it's a good connection because you're actually on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. people that were like the person that blocked you, to me, silly, but to maybe another guy, it's like, oh yeah, that is a deep personal question. I I I would feel more comfortable asking that way down the line, and she would be like, okay, and then yeah, that more has aligns. That person and, everyone has yeah. what they're looking for, right? Like yeah. I have a similar situation where like the person that I'm with. It's like right off the get-go, full steam ahead. Kind yeah, of thing. you know, let's you know? just let's just bear it all out. There. I don't want to talk for yeah. like two weeks and then add you on. Like, like let's seriously, let's just go on a date. We'll go in a public place, just chat. Yeah, whatever, like twenty minutes, thirty minutes, an hour, whatever. Yeah. And like, let's just see if it's worth taking anywhere. Right. But some girls are like, no, like, not ready to yet. Like to give you my number. Let's talk for two weeks and then That's add you on like, snapchat yeah. right like everyone has their own game which is fine again based on past experience yeah and not like that could based on past experience they maybe they had a really yes negative absolutely they went okay i'm gonna meet this guy or they've been told don't do that because they, someone they know has had a really negative yes. experience and it's really hard from the girl's perspective and i think now there are there's knowledge out there and mm-hmm. there are apps out there that Put more power to the girl mm-hmm. um without like y- yeah like without putting all the power to the girl it's just, I like mean, a little bit more i don't know i know it's in my experience with people i know and and i know this is not always the case because there's obviously dominant men and domestic abuse and, and all those things so i know yeah. it's not in my a lot of my circle in my experience <laughs> women have all the power <laughs> Like, women control sex, which in turn, like, controls the power of the relationship. Right. right. And I, like, I just... But why does that have to control the power of the relationship? Because that's guys what guys want. Yeah, right? but... And they know it. That's what they maybe want on top of other things, yes. right? But it, it's just... You bring up a good point, because not one size fits all. Right. Um, everyone's different. But, like, just in my experience in my circles, women are always kind of, like, the controller of... And of some women might think, the, yes, I the am. The conversation yeah. of the marriage, of the date, of the relationship, like, whatever it is. There, women are a lot more dominant than I think they give themselves credit for, for sure. Women that are in spaces where they're allowed to be or feel like they are Fair empowered enough. to be, right? And... But do you think dating hasn't? Because I don't know. Maybe that they can't necessarily. They're put down. Maybe at work or uh, like they they're they're not allowed to be them true selves. Like, do you think maybe there's an aspect of like, well, I can kind of play men and like that makes me feel good and <laughs> maybe there's a some. little bit of that. 
maybe. I mean, for some. again, it's it's really hard and, to put generalities because everyone's so different. Do you but. know what I think? The same could be said about some men. Like, oh, we're gonna, for sure, right? men are. I some do not men? subscribe to the hashtag <laughs> men are all trash because I find no, it very no, offensive. No, but yeah, there is a lot of shitty dudes. Yeah, and I'm very okay with saying that. that <laughs> yeah, so I think that of course there are women that manipulate their power, like like they have mm-hmm, guys mm-hmm. at the like tip of their fingers kind of thing and then at the same time there are guys and like i just don't subscribe to those types of people those are not the people i i wish to build relationships with Mm -hmm. right the last time i talked about like dating on a on the podcast i was single so it was a while ago one of the earlier episodes but one of the Mm -hmm. things that i always had trouble kind of like grappling with is and it, it was during the whole like me too movement and it's that you know, like, I don't want to rely on my phone just to talk to girls. Right. But I also have to be sensitive with, I can't, sometimes I can't just be nice to a woman and approach her in a public setting. Right. Trying to be as innocent as possible, right? Like, it's... I've had that happen before. It's unsettling. I know. And it's, a lot of women are uncomfortable. And, yeah. you know, rightfully so. Right. Right. Like, a lot, of, most of the time, the people who come up and talk to you, you do not want them coming up to talk to you. I get it. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of that. But it was always a big, you know, frustrating, like, frustration as, like, I consider myself a nice guy for the most part. And I'm like, I just want to talk and be civil, right? But it was so frustrating. Like, yeah. in your experience, do a lot of girls, like, because I'm, I'm sure, like, most people don't want to make that connection through their phone. No. They want to make it but in real safer. life. But it's safer. And that's basically what it comes down to. I think to, right? that's like, what it comes down to. Prioritizing it's more safe. safety over yeah. comfort. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. It I makes know. me sad. I, I hate society. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's safer. It's like a comfort blanket. And so, what I like is the dating apps that bring these experiences to the real world. Okay. So, you can find like meetups and like group events the dating apps will sponsor to get people to meet IRL, right? Aren't those just like filled with a bunch of dudes though? No. Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah, All okay. the ones that I've been to, there was one, there was one that I, well, been to, were, was a part of, like I, I um, worked for them, but for this particular event, it was mostly women. And then there was this really chill dude. You could tell he was like, maybe a little bit socially, like not one to, Right. Be very confident in, in social situations. But he came because he, he heard about it through the app. And he sat down with a group of girls that he hadn't met previously and was so nice and made new friends. Maybe it will turn into something else. But he had that opportunity to make connections. Yeah, shout out to through, that dude because yeah. that's making yourself very vulnerable. Right, right. Which not everyone is comfortable doing. Yeah. But then there was also an event where we were like doing things. So it's not like, let's just mingle. There was also like an, an objective. Um, we were actually making um, cause, like the shoe boxes, mm-hmm, the shoe box mm-hmm, project, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic initiative. Um, but we were doing that. So it was, there was an activity and it was still an opportunity to meet. So like, I think more, more dating apps are recognizing, hey, we need to get out of our safety blankets behind our phones and put these experiences out into real life connections but still doing it in a safe in a safe public environment in a safe public environment yeah where they know yeah that's interesting 
Do you think there's a lot of success from them? Obviously, you don't get follow-ups, but... I don't know. It'd be interesting. I would really be interested yeah. in figuring out that statistic. Yeah. From the people that I talk to, the, the experience itself of that one event is always positive. Mm-hmm. Like, of well, there's been multiple events, and, like, that's the capacity that I've worked through um, dating apps, but... Um, it's always been positive and it's never like it's it's a fun afternoon or it's a fun evening um going to yoga doing something like that right and so i don't know long term but mm-hmm. i think it's it's one of those opportunities where like you said you, you might not feel comfortable approaching somebody but if you're all in an event and you all came to the event because you all found it on the dating app right yeah you you're... might feel, feel more inclined to be like hey you look really interesting um, I noticed <laughs> you look really interesting. You look super interesting. <laughs> I noticed, um, like, do you, do you do yoga a lot? Like, do you come here? Like, let's say if it's a yoga event yeah. or like, I don't know, we do a lot of fitness <laughs> events, but if it's, if it's a boards games night, oh, have you played this one before? Like, do you want to play a board game with me? Right. Like that's creating a connection in real life. That's mm-hmm. still within an, an environment that's meant to not, not be super vulnerable right. and unsafe. Right. Do you yeah. ever do speed dating? I would never. Oh, well, I've never done it. Sorry. But I, I think, and, I, and I'm not single at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, very not single. But um, I think when I, when I was single, I, I considered it. I was like, that might be interesting. Yeah, but, then, yeah. but what stopped Old me was school. like, what kind of creeps go speed dating? Well, that's what, <laughs> my perception. And again, I've never been to any of these events. Just like my perception would be like, like it would be like a dating app where it's just a bunch of dudes. And see, like, I don't think that it would. I don't know. It's interesting. But like, conversely, as you're saying it, like, this does give an opportunity to women to come out and meet people, but in right. like a, a, a safer, a safer spot. space. Yeah. Like, you're not at the club getting yeah. like grinded up on by like some drunk dude. So fun. Yeah. Like, or. Miss those days. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's more like. Uh, yeah, like the opportunities there. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is good. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the I hope I never have to go to one, but... Likewise. <laughs> Likewise. Oh, gosh. Um, no, but I like... What I like about it is that it's making connections in the community um, and making connections with people that are not necessarily within your circle because let's say you move to a new place. Like, how are you going to meet people? Right? Yeah, it's true. It's It's so hard and... Online platforms give us a space to do that. And it's nice when these online platforms also provide in real life opportunities to do that. Yeah. Like I've met friends like just from Twitter. Right. Like. Right. Oh, Twitter. The Twitterverse. Yeah. Like there's just people like there's people I've never met who I will talk with every single day. Yeah. Well, maybe not every day, but But regularly. regularly. Like people that you catch up. Yeah. 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 And that's. Yeah. It's interesting how that has become just like a norm a norm Where before that was like a super nerdy thing well and i think that it's it's just a different way of communicating i don't know yeah but then you also have friends that you never like i don't know i have friends that i never text but i only catch up with in real life and that's like where our friendship thrives rather than those te- those friends right. that i yeah, text yeah, yeah. all the time right i'm much more of a face-to-face person yeah in general like, i am it's, too uh like I always think that like I can make anyone be my friend as soon as they like they I meet them. Like it's just it's easier for me to talk to people. I try to be. I'm warm. I'm yeah. a balding ginger. Like what's threatening <laughs> about me? <laughs> um, but like you know that's why this podcast for now at least it's 
probably going to branch out into some virtual stuff, but like I just wanted it face to face and yeah. just yeah. make a genuine, friendly connection with somebody and hear their life story and and what lights them on fire. And then it's like it's it's fun, it's good, it and I also love that it's local. Good. Like it's all lo- because it's face to face. It's all people. So far, yeah. So far, so far, right? Like but it's there's nice. So many cool people in Ottawa doing so many cool things, and like all you have to do is kind of look, you know, yeah. like. Yeah, like I, I'm in talks now to start branching out, branching yeah. out a little bit. Yeah, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But like, I will always have that aspect of people in Ottawa, or at least passing through Ottawa, coming right. to chat because, right. you know, we, like you said, like coming to Ottawa. We said it off mic, but that you, you loved it here, and there's, I love it here again. Yeah. Like, there's people doing amazing things, and all you have to do is just kind of like put a little word out. Yeah. I mean, we have Casey. Shout out to Casey again. She gets all the Hi, shout outs. Casey. Who connected us. Yes. She's like my number one fan with like connecting people love to Casey. me, which is amazing. I love like, Casey. Like, she'd be like, send me screenshots. Hey, I'm sorry I reached out to this person, but I think you guys should meet and she'd be on your podcast. It'd be great. I'm like, okay, sweet. She messaged me and I was like, sick. That's <laughs> awesome. Thanks for thinking I'm an interesting person. Well, you are. You're, <laughs> Thanks. Again, when you're in the moment and you're in your studying and you're in your circle of people who are doing the same thing maybe you don't think it's interesting but for me who's totally outside the scope of all this like i find it really interesting thanks and that like it's an important field of study and that a lot of good can come from it so never sell your sell yourself short that's a big problem as a graduate student it's a big problem problem, i think with everyone yeah yeah imposter syndrome imposter Imposter syndrome syndrome is huge very real i'm like like people are listening to my podcast people want to hear me speak about mental health what people want to nominate me for awards like i'm just oh yeah i saw that um i didn't win but that's okay but a nomination is yeah it meant a lot yeah um never do anything for uh awards or anything but extrinsic motivation Oh, um, but it's always nice that people see your work and yeah. what you're at least trying to accomplish, and yeah. you get a little that positive reinforcement. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it's it's always nice. But and I love that a mutual friend connected us too, because I think that sort of speaks to the connections and absolutely. knowing people from different walks of and life. Like, and like, look out now because I'm a big connector. So now that I know what you do, Holla. where does that fit in my life <laughs> of people who are doing things? Holla. So yeah, yeah. Anyway. And, and same like if you need I know people from different walks of life if you 100 percent we're yeah. gonna talk as soon as yeah. this mic um <laughs> I always give people an opportunity to plug something so I don't know oh. if you have anything personal you want to plug if there's a participation or any of these great yeah. programs yeah. um I know most people have like a social or something but okay you get to plug whatever you're like this is your time um <laughs> I think it's just a I'm like uh nothing specific because I'm not recruiting for anything right so we recruit for right. studies so if you're ever approached to re- re- like participate in research do it interesting okay you you might learn something it'll be a good experience and, and you're helping people you're helping people and it's and it's you, you you probably will learn something if you're asked to participate in research um and also um get outside Get active. Get active. Yeah, like, and do something you enjoy, I think. Yeah, because I don't have anything necessarily for myself right. to plug. But, but when you write this, like, big book on all this stuff, we're going to have to learn. Yeah. My dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, all the things. You're going to send a copy, and we're all going to read it and oh, figure out everything you learned. Yeah. 
This is going to be a big document. You look stressed. <laughs> See, like, this is what I'm pulling. I'm literally pulling my hair out. That's bad. Um, Don't do that. <laughs> um, no, like, I would say go out and find something that you enjoy doing that's active and gets you connected to your community. Boom. That's... When better words cannot end this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.